0: Welcome to the PAXX Podcast, available on iTunes. This is episode 32 of the show where we talk about everything to do with the passenger experience. I'm Mary Kirby, and I'm joined by my co-host, Max Flight. Max, how are you doing?
1: I'm doing very well, Mary. Nice to be speaking with you again.
0: Likewise, likewise. Um, before we get started, we'd like to thank Egate Solutions for sponsoring this week's podcast. We all want happy passengers; they buy more, and they're likely to be more loyal to your airline. But delivering a positive passenger experience is hard when you're relying on legacy systems and manual processes. Egate Solutions provides the technology behind onboard services, connecting and automating every step of an airline's operations from the warehouse to the passenger. With Egate, you can spend less time and money on the process and more on optimizing the passenger experience, which really is what we're all in the business of delivering. Visit eGate Solutions online at www.egate-solutions.com or email them at info at eGate-solutions to learn more. Now, it's my great pleasure to introduce our guest today. Michael Miller is Head of Content and Industry Relations at Routes, which organizes world-renowned airline and airport networking events around the globe. And prior to this role, he was a longtime industry public relations consultant and a former editor at Aviation Week. And that's where I first met you, uh, Mike. I think it was maybe 18 years ago now. (laughs) Ah,
2: oh, we're not that old, Mary, but thank you. It's, it's good to be with both of you, and uh, my bucket list is complete, I guess. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, it's nice to have you on the show, Mike. I think we're going to have a great conversation. We've got some interesting topics lined up. Let's start off and look at some of the top PAXX news stories that are making headlines. First, we have American Airlines and United Airlines. They're reintroducing complimentary snacks. They're joining Delta, which is long-distributed free Biscoff cookies to hungry domestic passengers. But uh, do these small PaxEx touches really matter to passengers? Uh, Mary, you've been taking a look at this story. What do you think? Do passengers really care about cookies? And what's the next battleground in onboard services at the U.S. Majors?
0: Oh, yeah. Well, absolutely. Absolutely. You know, for for several years there, Max, there was kind of a running joke among industry observers that the then struggling legacy carriers, particularly United Airlines and pre-merger U.S. Airways, were in kind of a literal race to the bottom in terms of service and, amen- and amenity. And United Airlines was kind of largely seen as coming up trumps in winning this nefarious distinction. You know, its tagline, Friendly Skies, was branded by some as... Decidedly unfriendly. So now you kind of fast forward to today and post consolidation, you got the big three airlines American, Delta, and United. They're sort of riding a a wave of cheap fuel and profits, and they're starting to make these kind of material, small but material changes to improve the passenger experience, like reintroducing snacks on United and American. And in fact, in the case of Delta, um, you know, bolstering their complimentary. Not, sorry, their buy-on-board food offerings and of course they already offered complimentary Biscoff cookies. So I think that without a doubt these small touches make a difference. They are absolutely beloved by passengers and you know, I have to say, you know, I'm in the machine I'm on Twitter all day long and it is not uncommon to see someone praise Delta for the Biscoff cookies. It's, it's a simple but it's a tasty treat and they are really appreciative of it and so I think that you could really make the argument that today These mobile social vocal passengers are helping to drive these kind of incremental improvements in the passenger experience on board. So I do think it matters. And to answer your question about the next battlefield, I think the next obvious battlefield, if we aren't already in it now, is in-flight Wi-Fi because passengers increasingly expect this at-home experience in the sky. They're starting to, uh, you know, see what that looks like uh, on JetBlue Airways, which offers a true streaming class of sterv- service. And they're expecting, you know, uh, something akin on their airline, airline of choice, and I think that's really where the next battleground is going to be. How about you, Mike? Do you think that these small touches matter?
2: I think they, they do matter, and uh, you you will always see me uh, asking for a second Biscoff cookie on Delta <laughs> and, uh, and possibly even a, uh, a Stroop waffle on United, even though I'm not very pleased that they're going to be cutting people off at 9.30 in the morning. So it's a morning flight if you want those waffles. No, it, it, it does matter, and it's exactly why I think – New uh, United Airlines CEO, uh, he he's bringing the thought that just a small touch does mean a lot, and it's really a small touch because it's a cookie. So maybe we're one step up from the bottom that you spoke about, <laughs> Mary. You know, we we hit rock bottom, and now we're one cookie ahead. But <laughs> but but it does make a difference. It makes a difference in just the overall experience but you know it means you still have to execute everything else well you know united still has had on time problems they still have reservation issues they still have uh, elite frequent flyer issues that don't know if they've solved as many as as the other uh, competitors have but you know what it's good they're starting with coffee evidently the new united coffee is great uh, i don't know if it's out everywhere yet but it's supposed to be fantastic so oh, yeah. um, you know it matters. Um, how much it matters? Well, it remains to be seen whether it's lip service or you know just a cookie. But I honestly think that that these small touches do matter. Um, but they they only matter a little bit. There's more remember, that should be do done. You
0: remember, do you remember the video United would show passengers? Um, you know, when 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 Jeff Smizik was uh, I guess in charge, uh, he said that we'll get you there right. safely and in a clean aircraft. Do you remember that? <laughs> <laughs> Safe and clean well, is what you're you able to expect from United.
2: You know what? That spirit too. I mean you have yeah. to distinguish yourself from the competition and uh, you know all it, all it'll take is for Allegiant and spirit to add free stroop waffles and then they again will blur the lines with everybody else <laughs> so you know you have to I still think you have to do more and you're right Mary Wi-Fi and uh, a better streaming service I do like what United is putting on board I, I like the ability to, uh, to to use their app to get free content uh, and I think that's kind of the the wave of the future Give people a couple of options. Uh, give them a seat back uh, screen if they want a seat back screen, but they want to bring their own device. Give them a couple of streaming options. I've just taken a couple of Emirates flights, and, you know, to me that now is the gold standard for in-flight. Yeah. Uh, one, one level just because they charge a dollar if, if, you, want to, if you want to use Wi-Fi, but on the oh, other yeah. level, um, you know, 3,000 hours of content. You can't beat that.
1: Do you think that if oil prices and fuel prices had not been so low, and consequently profits so high, do you think we'd still be seeing these complimentary snacks and other complimentary amenities?
2: I don't know, Mary. What do you think? I mean, it's it's fuel fuel is is providing those profits, but at the same time, there's a lot of pressure uh, when you're such so profitable. I mean. Delta, what six and a half billion dollars in profit, and uh, a lot of consumer groups complaining about the the prices of the ticket and the the low level of service. So they needed to respond. Hopefully, this is just response number one.
0: Yeah, they they definitely did need to respond, and and I got to say, I and mean, we I, I really don't think you can underscore it enough that that passengers are are getting very vocal about the experience, and it really does matter. People are paying attention. Now, one part of the, essentially, the economy class, uh, obviously, product that that really hasn't improved is seating. Uh, So we've seen, obviously, leg room uh, shrink on a lot of these airlines and on their wide bodies. We're seeing seat width uh, uh, shrink as well, because, of course, they're they're going from nine abreast to ten abreast on the 777, and a number of them have taken uh, the nine abreast, seven seven and it's tight. Um, so, yep. you know, I, I think it's interesting that we've got some early signs to suggest that these U.S. carriers, you know, are, are improving the passenger experience. Um, will they go to the next step and improve the comfort factor? It seems like they're all in agreement that if you want more room and more space, you're going to have to pay for it. Um, that seems to be yep. where they're at right now.
2: Can I cite a small pet peeve of mine just on the comfort yeah, level? Go for it. And, and this is Pretty, pretty universal uh, cross carriers now that charge an extra 30 or $40 for that exit row seat. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, probably among the most uncomfortable seats in the whole plane is the more narrow with the tray table on the arm seat uh, where you're cramped together. And maybe you get an extra six inches of leg room, but the seat is much more cramped. And in some airplanes, uh, some 737s right at the window in an exit row – it's extremely cramped and you have kind of a something jutting out from the wall that's not even an armrest. So uh never I, I really don't pay for those extra seats. I'd rather pay for an upgrade if I need to
0: but just right. a pet peeve. Sorry. Interesting. Hmm.
1: Well, let's push on. And Mike, we wanted to talk to you about some of the trends that you're seeing in new airline route development uh, with carriers using longer range narrow bodies to launch international routes. Uh, Mike, how should service change when you have Boeing 737 MAXs and Airbus A320 NEOs applying international routes?
2: Well, I, I did want to bring this up today. And just for, for background, um, I, I work for a British company that runs uh, av- aviation events around the world. So I manage five different conferences in all all continents around the world. And I've been able to talk to a lot of people uh, both on the airline side, airport side, uh, tourism side as they come to our events. And it's been interesting to me that there's kind of a, a this underpinning of excitement uh, in a number of different countries about the 737 MAX, which is already out there, and the Neo is is uh, just about to be delivered, I guess, uh, in the coming months. But you, have, you, you basically have a more efficient airplane that allows airlines on the short haul to do what the 787 has been doing on the long haul. I mean, if you look at the long haul, two examples are British Airways launching London to Austin, Texas a flight, a route that they have said would not be possible without the 787. And then you have others, you know, Tokyo, Kulungata, Gold Coast, Australia. Here's another long-haul, leisure-oriented flight made possible only by the 787's range. And so that's been a long-haul revolution. And we're seeing new 787 routes that that are uh, innovative, to say the least. Uh, long-haul, maybe not uh, uh, focused on the the business passenger anymore. So when you when you then apply this to the 737 and you slap it over on top of the geography of the world you have a really interesting development that these two new narrow bodies allow and that's that you know where where you may have had a marginal flight like what WestJet has started from St. John's, Newfoundland to London in a regular 737, the 737 MAX's extra range now will transform the Atlantic. And here's an example. Uh, Norwegian is going to get 100 new 737 Maxes, And I'm sure, Max, you, you love the title of the plane. <laughs> yes, uh, I do. <laughs> But but if you if you look at the range, that extra five to eight hundred miles that it's going to give you now can allow Norwegian to put 20, 30, 40 of these airplanes across the Atlantic. and, and just just think for a moment what it opens up that was never there before. It will open up a market like Bristol in the U.K., which is outside of London, and a lot of people still travel to London. It doesn't have – every so often it has service to Newark, Um, but it opens up Bristol to the east coast of the U.S., Belfast, Edinburgh. And vice versa. New York to Cork has already been announced by Norwegian. You know, it's not Dublin anymore. You don't have to go to Shannon or Dublin. You can go to Cork, Liverpool, Newcastle from the East Coast of the US. And vice versa, you can go from Hartford, Burlington, uh, Pittsburgh, and Dare I say Lancaster, Pennsylvania, to a market like you know London or Dublin, so you know you can see your relatives in Ireland, so it opens up this whole new transatlantic dynamic that we haven 't seen before, uh, and Norwegian is just one carrier, so apply that on north south across Europe, apply that from Uh, from Hawaii to smaller points in the U.S., kind of what Allegiant was trying when they tried 757s to Hawaii. Now you can do it with a more efficient airplane and probably make it work financially. So just a couple of examples. uh, Any destination come to mind for you, Mary, that you'd think, well, I wish I had a nonstop to somewhere Uh, from the middle of Pennsylvania?
0: you know, I'm actually really excited to see um, this uh, new Icelandic carrier, Wow Air. Um, operating some really interesting flights now out of BWI on A320s. Um, making it very cost efficient if you book well enough in advance to even you know fly via Reykjavik to Europe etc um, I think that that's opening up a whole new world for people um, in terms of these kind of low cost ultimately uh, you know more in the way of transatlantic I think would be much needed I, I know I have a lot of family members that are kind of chomping at the bit for you know uh, ultra low cost services into Dublin for example um, but uh, but one thing I find kind of interesting and in just taking it just Back to the comfort... Comfort level. You know, in the past, if you had said to me, they're going to start flying, you know, the 737s between Cork and Boston, Norwegian, you know, that would be kind of red flag material of, oh my goodness, you know, what's sure. the comfort factor going to be on that aircraft? But then quite ironically, as you're describing the 78, the 787, of course, having been fitted with the nine abreast overwhelmingly uh, with, a, with a, only a, a very couple exceptions, um, the seats on the 787 are, of course, around the same width as the seats on the 737. So just from a living space standpoint, if you're going to throw these seven threes uh, on these longer routes, including internationally, you're getting about the same space as you would on the 787. So from a comfort standpoint, it's it's like, you know, what used to may may have been a red flag in the past is now like, well, this is kind of what you're going to get.
2: Well, and I, and I would, I would hope that Norwegian, for just that example, for a moment, because they're going to get uh, really the first batch of seven three seven MAX is, uh, is going to Norwegian. Um, yeah. If you if you think about it, they probably will have a subfleet fleet uh, for transatlantic use, and hopefully they'll have they'll factor in comfort, because they're a pretty well-run carrier. But I also worry about mm-hmm. food aboard these planes, because anybody who's flown to 737 for more than two hours knows that you're going to get peanuts, and then you're going to get a second bag of peanuts. <laughs> That's all the space <laughs> they have on the plane. So, you right. know, could, could we see something like an in-airport uh, pick up the food as you go onto the plane type of a, a catering option where you know you don't have the space on the plane. So maybe the airline or the airport works together to give people a, a bag lunch type of a thing. Or could there be uh, different types of snacks that are more satisfying than, than a half an ounce of peanuts, which is really what... You get on most carriers, so i 'm looking for a little a innovation there, and not not just to force it on board the plane and saying, "Well, we have to carve out some space for food, but you know really, how do you serve people uh, when you're looking at in in most cases a six to seven hour segment
0: hmm. yeah, and no, a good point, and can we make sure that it 's not a bag of taco bell while we're at it you know <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it gets rough in flight sometimes. <laughs> Max, how about you? You
1: know, we were uh, talking the other day uh, with some friends about the Icelandic uh, new layover buddy concept where uh, instead of maybe giving you some kind of uh, food or something, uh, you know, on the flight, it's uh, in your transatlantic journey, maybe you spend a few days in Iceland seeing the sights and and touring the uh, beautiful countryside. And what they do is offer up some Icelandic employees to act as a free informal tour guide uh, during your layover. I think that was a very interesting kind of concept.
2: I thought yeah, it was brilliant. That is I, interesting. I think it's actually think one of the most innovative yeah. <laughs> one of the most innovative is my word. Just completely innovative.
1: Yes, yes.
0: And and the crew get paid to do this, obviously. Yes, this isn't out of the kindness of their hearts.
1: Um, I'm not sure. Uh, but uh, it doesn't cost a passenger any money. That's uh, that's for certain. Well, why don't we press on, and uh, we want to talk about uh, some regional markets. We know that there's hundreds of good regional markets out there that don't have service, and it may be the result of industry consolidation or aircraft upgauging. But there are pockets in the United States where we're seeing a resurgence of local air service. Mike, how do you see the regional industry evolving? Are we on the cusp of a regional airline renaissance or are these startups really forestalling an inevitable further decline?
2: Well, uh, I look at it right now um, as pockets of hope. and uh, But for the most part, I think the regional aviation industry in, in the U.S. is in crisis right now, and it's only because of the shortage of pilots. Uh, we've had uh, a bankruptcy uh, this week from Seaborn Airlines, which flies essential air service in about seven or eight different states in the in the far west and uh that airline is in crisis uh, great lakes has been shrinking and shrinking and shrinking uh they're only flying about 500 people a day now uh it's it, you know they're the if you if you're operating turboprops in the united states you're losing pilots on a regular basis, maybe daily, and you can 't replace them because the rules basically say that a pilot has to have fifteen hundred hours uh in order to get in a commercial plane, and uh pilots are not investing uh, that much anymore since uh rules began three years ago. but I do like you know some of the 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 upstarts the the small jet carriers i know mary you you probably look at this as as a big plus, or do you see some of the negatives that I see?
0: Uh, no, I do. I mean, I you know, I, I'm, I'm excited by some of these little startups. All, I I always love to see kind of plucky startups. Um, it's always impressive, and there's a couple names out there that we've written about, Boutique Air and the new one, Glow, uh, out of New Orleans, um, which is, you know, it's, it's interesting to see them give it the college try, but Mike, I have to say, uh, you make a very, very good point, and of course, the, the pilot shortage issue is a bit of a contentious one, as I found out uh, even this week, got into an exchange with uh, someone else who who's on the network who had written a story about the pilot shortage, and I had mentioned, you know, every time, we talk about the pilot shortage on social media, or we mention it in an article. I get a torrent of responses from regional pilots who cite time and again that they're not being paid enough and that they are obviously going into these regional airlines with a heavy debt load from their training. And, of course, as you say, after the Colgan uh, crash, they had now have to have 1,500 hours. Um, heavy debt load. And then they're going in and they're not making the money that they need to make. They're not making a living wage. Um, so I ended up in this kind of interesting exchange with with a fellow journalist and, uh, and she pointed out that the unions are, she believes that the unions are partially to blame. Do you kind of take a, do you take a stance on, on how everything has shifted out or do you think it's kind of a perfect storm of un, uh, unfortunate situations here?
2: Well, I really think that, uh when it comes down to it, Congress made a massive mistake in implementing these new rules, which were not based on on fact. They were based on emotion uh, out of the Colgan crash in Buffalo several years ago. Uh, but even uh, you know your own story or, or one of your your colleague's stories on Runway Girl Network cited the the fact that we've we've gone from eight hundred markets with air service to four hundred and thirty one in two thousand thirteen to three hundred ninety three. I mean. There are cities losing service across the U.S., and it's only due to the pilot. It's not due to anything else, Um, and yet you're getting some of these startups who, if you look at some – I mean, they're innovative. You have to give them a a chance to grow, but for the most part, they're connecting some of the small markets that, for the most part, force you right now to go via Atlanta on a long way around to get to your destination. Uh, or you know, go via Los Angeles for you're an East Coast startup. So some of these are providing better connections, but they're not providing new service to new dest- or destinations that have lost service. And I think that's the crisis we're in right now. If if we're going to lose three, four, five hundred uh, cities uh, from the route network in the U.S., I mean, what does that what does that say for our future and for the future of these towns? It's uh, it it takes them off the map for competitiveness
0: yeah yeah Max. You guys talk about pilot shortage on airplane geeks right to Yes. Me, what, how, how do you see it all?
1: yeah I think it's a real problem the The solution's not altogether clear to me, but certainly part of the problem is the the difference in pay scales for the regionals versus the the mainline carriers and we we see time and again that uh as as soon as a a regional pilot in many cases accumulates you know the hours and and the experience and can make a jump to the uh, to the majors, they do that, and we've we've seen some regionals actually have to cancel flights because of the lack of uh, lack of pilots because they've lost them all to the to the majors. I don't know the the system that we have with this sort of bifurcation of I will call it air service between regionals and the majors. I, I, I think is maybe kind of broken and is you know it serves perhaps the the airlines well uh, it, it lets the the regionals exist but in terms of uh, providing service to the passenger i like i say i think this bifurcation is just not in the in the consumer's best interest uh, these days given the sort of the the situation you know how you fix that i'm not sure you could look at the whole cabotage arrangement and whether that needs to be revised or not but Of course, there are a lot of people that wouldn't like to see that happen.
2: Well, even if you open up the the, the U.S. market to other carriers, you still have a pilot issue. I mean, if you're going to fly a small plane in the U.S., uh, a a pilot starting at a regional basically for 1,500 hours, it's going to cost them in the neighborhood of $250,000 to get to the point of – Auditioning for a $20,000 a year job. So, yeah, the regionals can offer you an extra $10,000 as a signing bonus, uh, but it still is not going to pay the debt that you have. So, that really, I think, you know, you, we have to address that 1,500 hour rule and maybe comp in some ground time. Regular hours, or find a solution because the the pilot pipeline is drying up, and uh, these these startups are great you know glow looks like a great little example, but I worry about its future if twelve months from now it loses half its pilots. <laughs>
0: Right, and and the, we have to uh, give props to some of these airlines that are kind of getting creative. I think we've got uh, the JetBlue, of course, uh, with the Gateway program. You know, where they have kind of a, a path for, say, for example, Cape Air pilots. Um, I, I, I guess more of that kind of out of the box thinking. Um, but in the meantime, you do also have, and, and it is a very real issue. These pilots saying they, they can't afford to they, they can't afford to live. You know, You're making twenty five thousand dollars a year. It's interesting. Republic Airways, of course, uh, in the fall of last year, kind of set an industry-leading uh, uh, pay rate for its pilots finally. And I think there's a hope and an expectation that some of these other uh, you know, carriers are going to follow suit. Um, something's got to give, I guess. Something's got to give. Well, unfortunately, we're, we're rapidly coming to a close. This is actually a lot of fun. We're going down the routes routes direction, Mike. <laughs> it's fun. <laughs> wow. um, I want to thank – yeah, it's like, you know, we, we talk so much about product. This has been fun. Um, I want to thank our listeners. Uh, and remember, you can find us online at runwaygirlnetwork.com and on iTunes. Be sure to follow all the Runway Girl Network activity on Twitter at, at @RunwayGirl And remember to use the PaxEx hashtag when tweeting about the passenger experience. Join in the conversation. We'd love to have you. I'd like to reiterate our thanks to our sponsor, eGate Solutions. And I'd like to thank Mike Miller for being our guest. Mike, where can listeners find you at?
2: Well, you can find me at uh, mike.miller at ubm.com or running a conference in San Juan next week or Ooh. Manila three weeks later. So, very Wherever nice. there's a uh, conference, you will find me uh, trying to uh, do my best impression of the local language.
1: <laughs> Sounds great. Mike, I always, I open, a, a I always
2: open events in the local language. So, Nice.
1: Very good. All right. Well, we'd like to uh, thank you, Mike. Thanks, Mary. And again, thank all of you for joining us. We ask that you join us again next time as we talk about the passenger experience on the PAXX podcast.
0: Take care, everybody.